God, we come before you. Um, Father, there's something you're stirring within me, and I don't even know where to go from here. I don't know if I should share what's been prepared or... Father, I just know with what's going on with Israel right now, Lord, um, my heart is heavy. We're talking about things in Thessalonians with the end times, and Father, we're seeing prophecy unfold before our eyes. And so, Father, we come before you because um, we are your children, and we need you, and we need your wisdom. In James, it says, if anybody... who needs wisdom should ask and God will give generously. That's what you'll do. We need wisdom from you. You're the father of lights. There's no shadow of turning. In you is all that is good. So I pray for each man here. Father, I pray that you will guide what needs to be said. I don't even know. We're trusting you. We need you. We need something supernatural our own reasoning is insufficient. Our thinking, our works, our efforts, apart from your spirit, mean nothing. Only in your spirit is there real life. Only in your spirit is there wisdom and clarity. Only in your spirit is there freedom, is there liberty. Only in you. So, Father, I pray your will be done. I pray your kingdom come. We want you. We want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First two verses. Finally, then brethren, we urge we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know, Enoch in Genesis 5.24, he walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For he, before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Help us, Lord, to please you. Enoch pleased so much that he walked with you. And I look and they talk about how Noah pleased you and Abraham pleased you. And I see their imperfections. So it's not about being perfect. It's a life surrendered, trusting you. A life choosing to be holy.
Richardson says, a central characteristic of the Christian life is to please God. Christians accommodate themselves to their God. God never accommodates himself to us. We are called by God to willing to surrender. That means we have to allow ourselves to be changed by him. He's unchangeable. He's the same. Are we willing to allow him to change us? He goes on, he says, the idea is not that we appease God or conciliate him. Then we don't appease. Christ did that on the cross. We pleased him because we honor him. It's a matter of gratefulness. A holy walk pleases God. We want to walk in a way that puts a smile on the face of God. Unfortunately, many of us make him frown. What does it mean to please God? We don't hear much about Enoch. There are other deuterocanonical books and stuff afterwards that talk about Enoch, but we don't, we know, and they use the word translated that he went with God, and that's where we get that same idea of a rapture, that he was just taken away in a moment. He was there and then he was gone. The time is coming when we have to put away childish things. That we can't be operating the way that we have, chasing after the ambitions and goals that we've been chasing after, building the kingdom that we want. We have to choose to follow Jesus no matter what. No matter what other people think, what our families think, what our spouses think, what our parents think, what our children think, are we going to follow Jesus Are we going to please God no matter what? What does that mean? What does it mean to please God? It means being holy as He is holy. It means thinking the way that He thinks, loving the way that He loves. Are we willing to lay down all that we have for Him? That doesn't mean you have to cash in your retirement and everything instantly, but it does mean you have to be willing. What's holding us back? Why are we chasing after our own desires? Do we not believe that He's good enough? Do we not believe that He's going to take care of us? Do we not believe that He has our best interests at heart? Are we here to pretend? Are we here to really, really submit and follow Him? Many of us have been given a privilege. Some, most of us have been through pure life. And it's not that we're doing badly and some are doing okay. Certainly better than where before. But the thing of pure life was just a beginning. The walk of a believer, it's just the beginning. 
We have to be willing to go the distance. It says, he who endures until the end will be saved. That means going the distance. That doesn't mean letting go and just suddenly giving up. That doesn't mean waffling back and forth, one foot trying to be in the kingdom and the other one in the world. This world is getting, the pull of the world is getting stronger and stronger. When we were at Pure Life, when you're away, they provide all the guardrails and the shelters, all the protection, everything that keeps you from stumbling. But we are going to have to, on our own, our walk. He says, we urge and exhort you in the Lord that you should abound more and more. So it doesn't mean holding still. It doesn't mean plateauing. It means pressing in ever more. It means running faster and faster and faster in the race for the Lord. So then... Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Most of us here went to PLM because of sexual immorality. And we fight, and many afterwards still struggle. Still chasing after self. Sexual immorality displeases God because it's against His nature. It says... I don't believe what you're going to provide is good enough for me. I'm going to have to comfort myself, distract myself, medicate myself because I don't trust you. I don't believe you're good enough. I don't believe you're sufficient. I don't believe you're going to take care of me. But Paul says here that each you should know how to possess his own vessel. And some say vessel means yourself. Others mean things with the spouse. But Some of you may have spouses, but it means a walk that is righteous 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, all the time. Not just 90% of the time. Not 95, not 99, 100%. Now, it doesn't mean, he says, be perfect like I'm perfect, be holy like I'm holy. Your father's perfect, and we kind of know in our minds that we're not going to be perfect here on this side of heaven. But that's not an excuse. It means a heart that says, God, crying out to him like in Psalm 107, I need you. We sing the songs. Do we allow what God is saying to change our heart, our spirit, how our direction and the thing of the matter is, we keep thinking that it's just us. 
that my sin is just my problem. Just between me and God, me and Jesus. That's not what Scripture says. My sin affects the whole body. It definitely affects my family. Sexual sin, self-gratification defrauds, if you're never married, your future spouse. If you're married, defrauds your spouse. Definitely defrauds God. It's a lust of the flesh. But anything that we do, everything that we lust after in terms of the world, it's all tied. It's all connected. It's not like we can parse that out. I cannot just lust after this, but I can lust after those things. I can lust after the world. I can last after the next car and the stuff, the advertisement. And so when we have and carry around our phones that has all these ads and all this stuff, it's trying to drive lust within us. And the world is seductive and enticing and getting more and more. They're getting smarter and better. And with artificial intelligence, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. The distinction between that which is real and that which is false, that which is make-believe, that which is fantasy, is going to get harder for us. That's why we have to abide even closer to Jesus. It says, we sang, lead me to the cross. Is that something that I, we say each and every moment of the day, lead me to the cross? I'm not here to condemn you. This is not in any way a message of condemnation. I don't want you to look at this, oh, I feel bad. He's making me feel bad. I feel guilty. If you're feeling guilty, that comes from the accuser of the brethren. That's not about that. This is an appeal. He is worth it. He is worth it. He is that good. Please trust him. We sang that his name is beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's powerful. Believe it. Chase after it. You have to abide in that strength, but you have to surrender. Our success and our failure will be directly, directly related to how much we choose to surrender to God. If we're being defeated, it's because we're not surrendered. We're not trusting. We're not believing. We're not walking with God. So we have to look. God's asking us to examine ourselves, like it says in Ephesians, to see how you're walking the faith. That examination is not just done in the morning. It definitely should be done in the morning, but not just in the morning. It has to be all day long. It's so easy one moment to be walking in the Spirit, the next moment in the flesh. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And so to not... Now, the opportunity is here. When we sing songs, you know, the nice thing with all the... One of the pluses of all the technologies available, so you can listen to music with your, you know, your... AirPods or ear devices, whatever you have, your Bluetooth devices, all day long. You, you have the songs in your, in your head, you can worship God. You have scripture, we can listen to scripture all day long. 
we have to abide more and more. And for those of us who, who are no longer part of prayer life, it's, we have to make that extra effort. It's not going to be externally imposed on us. So one of the things I found as a blessing, and it's so important, is we're doing it together. We're not alone. I so much appreciated the time last night when guys gathered across the street and we, um, we read through Revelations. And part of me was like, okay, wow, when are we going to get through this? There's a part of me that struggles to try to pay attention. It's a lot, and we're reading it pretty quickly, and it takes time to digest and piece all the, put all the pieces together, puzzle it all together. Even though I've read it over and over, sometimes some of it's just hard to comprehend. Some parts are easier, some parts are harder. What is going to happen? What does it mean? How much of it is symbolism? How much is actually going to happen is, you know, literal? And there's so many different commentaries out there. The point is, we gathered together to encourage one another in the Lord. This walk that we do as the church is not a walk alone. So when Paul's appealing to the Thessalonians, he's talking to them individually and corporately. Individually and corporately. So what does he mean by sanctification? I think we can categorize it like three ways. We, as soon as you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, when you've repented of your sins and laid your life for him, you have positional sanctification. Jesus' blood has covered your sins. As God is holy, you are now holy because of what he did. It doesn't feel like it. But because of what he did, God sees you through Jesus. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because God sees the holiness of Christ when he sees you. That's your positional sanctification. But the other part is, we have what's called progressive or practical sanctification. That's what happens as we walk through. What does it mean that we're walking it out? We're getting more and more holy. We're developing Christ-like character. And we see that. As soon as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Nobody's better than somebody else. We're all equal before the Lord. But the practical sanctification what it means to walk on this, to become more Christ-like. One of the things God wants for His glory is to work through us, broken, cracked, earthen vessels, jars of clay, humble vessels that He's, he's God. People could be saved just like that if He wanted to, but He decides to work through us. He does it on purpose, because he wants to walk with us and he wants to make us more Christ-like. And that he gets greater glory. So as when we please him by walking and becoming holy, we're giving God more glory. And he is pleased with that. When we, by faith, even we don't see it. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. When we, by faith, trust in him, even though we don't see everything working the way that we want to, even when things don't look good, 
that pleases God. And he works that, our surrender, as our walk, to make us more and more like Christ. And then, like, we don't do this alone. When you look around, when I look around and I see those who've walked before, like Pastor Jeff and, and, and Brother, Pastor, Evangelist, Glenn, I don't even know what title to give. I know. I know. I know. But I see them walk before. It inspires and encourages me. It lets me know, yeah, they're doing that. I, I need to press in more. So we encourage one another. And it can be at the same level. When I see somebody else make a choice, surrender, that encourages me. We do that with one another. That helps to spur us on together with good deeds. When we talk, when we meet, when we encourage, when we praise. Hold each other accountable, you say. What other way do we get it? The most important way is through the Holy Spirit, through His Holy Word. God sanctifies us as we immerse ourselves through the Holy Word. The Bible. Spending time reading the Bible, but also listening. So read it out loud to yourself or get an audio version. Read it and listen to it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. There's something with hearing that connects to a certain part of the brain, but it also connects with the Spirit, and God changes us through that. So spending time, but also we can't, you know, those who've gone through um, Rex Andrews' uh, study, mercy studies, know, he says, open my heart to your word and your word to my heart. He's talking about appeal to the Spirit. So it has to happen through the Spirit. And then the last part, of course, is we'll get perfect sanctification. And that'll happen when we're, only when we're in heaven. Then we will be truly perfected. Now at this time, what's happening in northern Greece and Thessalonica at that time is not much different than what's happening now. Sin was abounding. And the, and the idea of marriage, marriage is now so easy to break. It used to be very hard. You had to have a good reason to justify it. It's much harder to break a contract on your cell phone than it is to break a marriage. Okay? Comparatively, there's more of a penalty from what you paid for it. It's, it's crazy how how easy it is now when it used to be much harder. But back then, they talk about this is the kind of culture we're dealing with in the Roman Empire. We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. This is by Demosthenes. Culture now is getting more and more like that. It doesn't matter. Do what you want. Do what feels good. If you don't like it, you're unhappy. You deserve to be happy. That means let it go. Move on. Something bad happens you can't forgive. Well, then you just need to move on. Move on to something else. 
The view is always temporal. The view is always for self. That is not the path of God. God did not think of himself. Jesus did not think of himself when he went to the cross. He even said in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. So we're not to be in a passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. We have to make in the world, and church is becoming, we're becoming, you know, maybe 10, 15 years behind culture. So, wow, we're not as bad as what it is now, but compared to the 40s and the 50s, oh, yeah. Compared to the time of the Puritans, some of the time before where things are back 100 years ago, oh, yeah. We've become very corrupt. Very self-focused. Folk entertainment. We think we're entitled to entertainment. And we even go to church services, whether the church entertains us. What do we get out of it? I was guilty of that. I did lighting. I still like lighting. But program lights make things look really good. Great sound system. Great worship band. So you have a great worship experience because everything sounded really professional and really good. I've been to passion conferences at Louis Giglio's Passion City Church down in Atlanta, and, you know, it's a phenomenal production. But that's what the world chases after. We let the world set the standard. We need to be as good as the world. We need to have Christian singers and artists and do that, and sometimes we listen to music because we want the same thing. We want the Christian version of the world. It's letting the world determine what our desires are. Just putting a Christian veneer over it. That is not what the Lord God wants. We have to ask Him for a greater desire for Him. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, what are the works of the flesh? They're evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, though those who practice such things will not, will 
not inherit the kingdom of God. Who of us has not had selfish ambitions? Dissensions, jealousies, contentions, ill feeling towards others, hatred. We may have said wrath out loud, but said it inside, in our hearts. And he contrasts it by the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So look how it enters there. If we live in the Spirit, we also walk in the Spirit. So at each moment of every day, we have the choice of walking in the flesh or the Spirit. And the problem is we set low standards of ourselves. We think, I used to walk only 2% in the Spirit and now 98% in the flesh. Now I'm 5% in the Spirit. That's two and a half times better. So I'm good. I'm okay. That's not what God wants. So I'm not trying to condemn yourself because you do 5%. I am saying recognize the five and go, okay, I need the other 95 to be surrendered to the Lord. I need to press on and take hold of that. Not to sit back and take comfort that I'm not as bad. Now, I've said this before. There are two people we have to compare ourselves to. Only two. Each one of us. We compare ourselves to what we once were and Jesus. So Jesus is our goal. Okay? And we're not where we once were. To be encouraged that I wasn't as bad as I was last year, that's good. But to realize humbly that, whoa, I am still far, far from Jesus. But praise God, we're not alone in this. Praise God that He's going to help us. Praise God that He's sufficient to meet each and all our needs. But He does not do that without our consent. He does not do that without our consent. We have to be willing. We have to consent when? Once? No. Every day? to start every hour yeah multiple times an hour yeah so it's a consent on our part that's continuous that's what it means to walk in the spirit God I need you now I need you now and I need you now and so much of our day is in business and we do work we have to ask God, invite him into now. God exists eternally in the now. It's all now to him. Past, what we see as past, present, future is all now. I am. He is in the ever-present. He's asking us to enter if we want to be him, to be in the present of him in that relationship of now. It takes a moment God, I need you. Now, bang. He's there. He's always with us. We may not always be with Him, though. That's the invitation. That's where the consent comes in. 
And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit, and that's when there's an opportunity to please God. And as we spend time in the Word, as we chase after Him, and it's a fight sometimes because sometimes we don't feel like it. I didn't feel like last three days. It was a struggle. I'll be honest. But I kept plodding through, persevering through it. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel like, everything's great. I'm basking with the love of Jesus. Da-di-da-di-da-di-da. I didn't feel that. Because my feelings don't matter that much. Okay, the Spirit has to guide our feelings. The feelings are like a little child that doesn't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. As a parent, you'll say, that's okay, you don't want to go to school, you're going to go to school. I don't want to go there. Yeah, you're going to go there whether you want to or not. We have to lead our heart. That's part of it. The, the heart the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 17.9, right? Above all things. But God, in 17, he's, He knows in such a heart. He knows our hearts better than we do. So the good news is we're not alone in this walk. The good news is God is there with us at each moment. He is a stronger advocate for us than we are. He wants us to walk in the Spirit more than we do. He will help us. Ask Him again and again. Does He get tired of you asking Him? You know, I've had kids. Sometimes they ask a lot of time. You know, that you've heard that for a frame, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet, you know, kind of thing the kids do. You know, I have to go and you take them to, uh, um, you t- okay, go to the bathroom now before we go on the trip. I don't have to go now. Go now. I don't have to go. Go. No, I don't have to go. Okay. Okay. Then you're half an hour down the road. I have to go pee, Dad. I told you to go to the bathroom. That's how we are. That's not how God is. That's not how God is. We can go to him over and over again. God, I screwed up. I said I didn't have to pee, but I have to pee. That's okay, I know. He knows. He knows from the beginning. He knows all things. He knows every single permutation and combination. We think of the future being linear, like it's going to happen, like it's one way. It doesn't matter to God because He knows all possibilities of all realities of every possibility of everything. There's nothing ever that's a surprise to Him. Ever. Ever a surprise. And he's on our side. The question is, are we on his side? Are we going to do what he wants? We say, God bless America. The really expression is, America, are you going to bless God? Are we going to bless God by pleasing, by walking, by trusting? What does he want? He goes, I trust you. I trust you, God, to do the work that you want to do. You promised. Your promises are faithful and true, and you're going to complete the good work you began. And even though I don't feel it, even though it's hard for me to think about it, I'm going to choose by faith to trust that you're going to make it happen. I'm going to step in. I'm going to jump off that banister knowing, God, you're going to catch me. Now, I'm not saying foolishly jump off a building knowing that God's, you know, the devil tempted Jesus that way, and Jesus recognized that the idea is not to test your God that way. But I'm asking a heart that's saying, I'm going to trust you no matter what. And if you're leading by the Spirit, I'm going to follow it even if it doesn't make sense to me. 
Now, what does that mean? Part of it is there's wisdom, and part of that wisdom is when you're making those decisions, you're making sure that it is consistent with the Word of God, directed by the Holy Spirit, sought the counsel of the body, and making sure that it's rational that. You don't make choices like that where you're making decisions that are foolish. The principle being is trusting in God in faith. That's how we've been pleasing, and that's what Paul is admonishing the Thessalonians. So, um, I'm not sure where to go from here on this. I thought I could go through the whole thing, but I don't know if that's what the Lord wants me to do that. I think we need to pray. I don't know exactly what that looks like, and I'm open to any suggestions that Pastor or Brother Glenn have on that, but I think God's wanting us to seek Him something more. I don't know if there's a surrender we need to do or a prayer. There's something God wants us to do to show that we can, we're willing to trust Him. So if you need to come forward, if you want to pray in your seat and pray out loud, um, I'm going to trust the Spirit will give voice.